Welcome to the Neanderthal Mind, bringing you riveting, educational, humorous, and sometimes serious perspectives on our Neanderthal mind. We dive deep into why what our Neanderthal ancestors did to survive still has a profound effect on our modern mind. Take a journey with us as we roll back the clock millions of years. All right, my fellow cave dwellers, if you're ready, let's get this wheel rolling. Now here's your host and the leader of the pack, Anthony Yokolano. Welcome, cave dwellers, to episode six. This episode, we share the spotlight with a family member in the podcast world, Gabby LaPera. She is author and host of Anthrobiology Podcast, which is a podcast that specializes in interviewing biological anthropologists to help make their work more accessible to a larger variety of people, as well as introduce future students to the field of biological anthropology in academia, as well as what to expect in the field of biological anthropology. Gabby is also a content strategist in the finance and tech industries. Gabby created Anthrobiology Podcast in January of 2020 and has been going strong ever since. In this episode, we talk about Gabby's life before the Anthrobiology Podcast and what led her to create the podcast. We discuss the importance of curiosity and being able and willing to change your mind, especially in the ever-changing world of biological anthropology, but most importantly in life in general. We also talk about Gabby's influencers and the importance they will play in your life and career. So as always, cave dwellers, sit back, relax, and enjoy this first part of two with Gabby LaPera from the Anthrobiology Podcast. And make sure you look at the show notes to get the links to all Gabby has to offer. See you on the flip side, cave dwellers. Well, yeah, usually how I like to start off is just, uh, you know, asking them to uh, just tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Gabby LaPera, and I host the Anthrobiology Podcast, which is a show that specializes in interviewing biological anthropologists to make their work more accessible to a variety of people. And I've also kind of expanded recently into talking a little bit about what academia is like, what the field is like, so that people who are thinking about going into grad programs are a little bit more prepared for what they might face there. I also have a day job that actually pays all my bills, which is I am a content strategist at a financial tech company, which basically means I spend all day making things more Googleable, if that is a word. And <laughs> well, we'll go with it, even if it isn't, we'll go with it. <laughs> and then the other stuff I do is I do like a lot of exploration of different mediums. So uh, working on starting some data journalism, a podcast, of course, for my company, working on our YouTube channel, stuff like that. It's actually a really interesting job. And I really like it because a lot like the Anthrobiology podcast, it's a really great opportunity to help educate people. And it's on something that's even more fundamental to the vast majority of people's lives, which is personal finance. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that, that kind of grabs a, a wider spectrum of, uh, I guess you can say. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, we'll go with that. Um, I had sent you one saying, you know, content strategist uh, to, to Anthrobiology podcast kind of makes as much sense as me 
with a degree in hotel restaurant management doing the Neanderthal Mind podcast. So <laughs> I was uh, trying to figure out the connection there with uh, between your content strategist and anthrobiology. But uh, yeah, I yeah. appreciate clarifying that. Yeah. How did that happen? That's a great question. And I think this is something that happens to a lot of people who study anthropology is I actually went to grad school and I got my master's in anthropology. And after grad school, during grad school, really, I realized I really didn't want to go on and get my PhD. Like grad school just wasn't a good place for me mentally, emotionally. I really enjoyed the work, right? Like I loved the knowledge that I was getting, but just as an environment, it wasn't really for me. And I also realized that one of the things about academia is that you have very little control over your life until you've like really, really made it, but that can take decades if it happens at all. And I realized that I wanted to have a greater degree of control over my life. So I realized I needed to leave and find a job in the real world for lack of a better way of putting it. Sure. And so when I graduated, a friend of mine at the time, he was working at this company called The Motley Fool and they do investment media. They have like a lot of investing newsletters and he told me that they were looking for editors. And editing is actually something that I had been doing on and off since I was an undergraduate. I had a lot of experience preparing papers for peer-reviewed journals or before they went to publishers to get like the publishing edit. And so I was like, you know what? I I bet that I could be an editor at your company. Like it can't be that much harder than what I was doing. And I had an interview with them and I essentially... They they essentially told me they noticed that I did not have a, a background in finance. <laughs> let's, okay. let's put it that way. And they're like, do you really think that you'll be able to understand this? And I was like, uh, I think that we're making a lot of assumptions here about how difficult this is to understand. Because <laughs> my master's is my, my my master's thesis was on endocrinology and like intracellular signaling mechanisms and like mismatch diseases like is this really harder than that it turns out it's not it's actually way easier I think there is some basic algebra but not much and I really thrived for a while there I became a bureau chief Um, I specialized in the financial sector so everything about like banks insurance companies business development corporations real estate investment trusts stuff like that cryptocurrency. And I also learned a lot, a lot, a lot about personal finance. It was actually kind of this huge blessing because I, there's so much about finance and especially personal finance that I just like didn't know, even though I have like two very savvy parents who are doing well for themselves and like taught me a lot, just kind of by like osmosis. There's like just all this stuff, all these like little nicky knack things and personal finance that you don't learn in school. You don't learn anywhere. You have to kind of pick it up for yourself. And so I ended up actually becoming super passionate about the job. And then um, I was there for about two years and I got, I just got kind of of tired of the pace and Credit Karma came around and asked me if I want to come work for them. And I actually worked for them originally as an editor for two years before transitioning into content strategy. So yeah, that's, that's how that happened. (laughs) Well, very interesting. And then uh, whenever I've seen The Motley Fool, because I Back in the early 90s, I, I personally just dabbled with investing and, and reading a lot of books of investing and following. And, and The Motley Fool was actually one of the ones that I that I did follow. So to see that, that was that was pretty interesting to, you know, talk with someone who actually has worked there. So <laughs> happy to 
happy, happy to talk to you always, especially about personal finance and anthropology. <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's, well, I mean, I guess there could be some kind of marriage between the two, but uh, <laughs> it yeah. might be a stretch. I mean, I think that, like I said, for for the anthropology podcast and for like what I do during my day job, like the vast majority of it, it just comes from a desire to like help people learn more about things. And even though the topics are like wildly different, I think that it's kind of the same impulse. I've always been really interested in education and teaching. That was actually one of my favorite parts about grad school was getting to teach. And so I think it's just like kind of like a natural segue for me, both the anthropology podcast and personal finance. (laughs) So then you might have touched on a little bit here. So how did the uh, anthropology podcast come about? You you said you were... Yeah. So I actually, so when I was working at The Motley Fool, I worked insane hours and I just like wasn't in a place really where I could like mentally think about uh, starting a podcast. But when I started working at Credit Karma, they have like a very California laid back approach to work. And I was suddenly working like way less, which was great. Like it was so good for me. I was a lot, lot happier. I was suddenly in a place where I like had the time and I didn't have to worry about making extra money. So like the anthropology podcast is really like a luxury for me that I get to do this. The thing is, even though I left academia, I never stopped loving anthropology. Like I kept reading books and I always wish that I could talk to people And the Anthrobiology Podcast has really given me an avenue to talk to some people that are so impressive and so smart. And that's kind of why it happened. And also, I had actually done a podcast for The Motley Fool for two years, which is where I got the idea that I was even going to be able to do this in the first place, right? Like I had hosted a podcast for them for two years, even though I didn't learn any of the technical skills like editing or anything, interviewing in and of itself is a skill. and so. I was like, you know what? I bet I could do this for anthropology. And at the time, like four or five years ago, I feel like there just really weren't that many anthropology shows, which is why I started thinking about it back then. But like I said, I just wasn't in the place to actually do anything about it until about a year ago. (laughs) Very good. Well, I thank you for getting into that. And I'm sure there are quite a few others out there that that do as well. And it's kind of... Same with me, like the the uh, techniques to learn for interviewing. I, I the only experience I had at interviewing was working in the hotels and interviewing employees. You know, I never, mm-hmm. <laughs> I never at all ever sat down with someone to talk to them about, you know, say anthrop- anthropology or even uh, I've interviewed a, a few authors, and uh, it's odd for me to seem to have gone that way as well. So, but uh, trying my best, and uh, we're only. Uh, maybe four or five episodes in to the Neanderthal mind. So, you know, you learn as you go and and I'm okay with that. Yeah, definitely. And that's the most important part about it. Like if anyone out there is thinking about starting their own podcast, it's okay to make mistakes. Like just keep plugging along at it. You're going to get better as you go. And like, maybe you don't have that many listeners for your first 20 shows and that's okay. Like as long as you keep taking what you're doing and learning something from it, like you're going to end up with a better product than you started with. Sure. Yeah. The the one good thing about doing podcasts, at least on my side of things is if I do screw up or if whoever I'm interviewing messes up, I I can edit it out. You know, (laughs) exactly. Yes. (laughs) Mess up as much as you want. We will edit it out and you know, no big deal. Mm -hmm. No one will know the difference once it's, uh, once it's put out there for everyone to listen to. So (laughs) 
Definitely. That is, that is a really good thing. There have been a couple of times where I've said something really dumb to someone really smart. And I'm like, hmm, I'm glad I can take that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for, for the day that I do that. And I may have done that already and didn't realize I'd said something really stupid to someone really smart, but uh, you know, at some point I know I will do that, but uh, you know, again, yeah, and I may leave it in just for laughs. You know, that's just the kind of person I am. I don't, I'm not here to hide anything from anybody. I'm not, I've never claimed to be an expert at this. So <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that that is one of the charms of podcasts too, right? Like those are my favorite types of shows where like you actually see the interplay between two people and it's not just a scripted readout of questions back and forth. Sure, sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, and, and I guess speaking on scripted, now I do put my questions in there, but that's just to keep me on track because my mind just goes crazy. You know, we'll start talking about something and I'm just like, what, what the heck did we start talking about that for? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, so it kind of keeps me on track on to where, where we're at and where we're going. But yeah, it's not like you're reading from a script, you know, it's definitely, exactly you know, it, it encourages a lot of uh, conversation back and forth. Uh, and there's a difference between an outline and like having pre-written answers to something. <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. Oh, certainly. Well, we'll move on then to uh, now the one thing that you had uh, put in, you know, whenever you did your scheduling for the interview, the importance of curiosity and being able to change your mind. I just, I didn't send that to you, but obviously, obviously that's coming from your mind. So you know what, what you mean when you say that. So <laughs> yeah, just, uh, if you want to touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I think that one of the things that this is kind of like a personal rant of mine about the ability to be able to change your mind. It's something that people in general are pretty good about in academia. Like they are good at getting new data and they should be good at getting new data and looking at it and being like, oh, I was wrong before. I better adjust my hypothesis, whatever it is, change my mind. And I don't know why, but it kind of feels like that has become unacceptable out in the real world. Like people get mad when people change their minds. And I feel like it's, a really healthy thing to be able to do it. Like maybe you were wrong before and now that you're right, we should celebrate the fact that you were able to change your mind and not be mad at you for having been wrong before. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Most certainly. And even in the uh, anthropology side of things where it seems like every day we're discovering you know, new information about Neanderthals, uh, just like everyone else with me, I always had the stereotype that they were you know, just very unintelligent, just swinging a club at anything that moved. And, you know, it's like they didn't know anything about living. And that, that is just so far from the truth in this field, which, again, I have no experience in whatsoever, none. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you're, the more and more you read, there are a lot of things changing as we go along. And I do read as well that there are some anthropologists that get mad at others for changing something that we're just discovering and we're still working that out but uh, yeah I definitely see the importance of being able to change your mind basically is what I was trying to get to <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and like I said I think people in academia have more practice at it but they're not necessarily good at it I think it's really hard to change your mind which is why I think it's just a skill that everyone should work on and I think that kind of like the language of science can help people who aren't necessarily in the sciences help them get better at it too and I think a big part of that is being curious, right? So being, just wanting to know more things, like just being curious about the world around you. How are things put together? Why are they the way they are? Can they be better? 
can I be better? I think that all of those things tie together with the ability to be able to change your mind and change other people's minds. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, again, to just to touch on my side, that's, that's kind of what got me into this realm of things is I've, my mom was always a, a people watcher and so was I, you know, and, and I'm just sitting there watching and I'm, I'm, well, why, why do they act like that? Why do they say that? Or why do they react like that? Then I was listening to a podcast a couple of years ago and, and someone had come on saying, well, you know, a lot of our psychology and biology and our emotions and it, it stems from our Neanderthals. And I thought, wow, that's okay. That's interesting. So started to look into it a little more. And then of course you had to build up, well, I had to build up the confidence to take that step to to start a podcast on it because like I said I have no experience whatsoever in in anything Neanderthal so I think that that's really exciting and I think that there's like I think it's really cool that you were like I want to learn more about this and I want to take other people along on the journey with me as I learn more I think that's incredibly cool and exciting yeah I appreciate that thank you (laughs) of course so now and again we touched on your your BA in anthropology but what led you to that Oh, it was an accident. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I graduated from high school with all of these girls. I went to all girls school, which is why I say girls with all of these girls who knew exactly what it is that they wanted to do. Like they're like, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be an investment banker. Also, I don't know what 18 year old says. I want to be an investment banker, but I knew one who told me that. (laughs) And I was just like, I don't really know what I want to do, but I'm going to go to college now because my parents are immigrants and they really believe in the power of an education and they're hundred percent right. <laughs> but I went to college and I just was like, well, I like history. So I guess maybe I'll major in history, but I had this roommate who I dearly, dearly love to this day. She really wanted to take a class with me. And the only class that worked for both of our schedules was an 8am intro to anthropology class. And I was so mad because I am not a morning person at all. And I was like, oh, why are you doing this to me? But I started taking the class and I was like, I started getting more and more interested. And I realized that some of the history classes I was taking had anthropology in them, like in the the sense that there was like a lot of archeological evidence also being presented in these history classes. Because I went to school at um, William & Mary, which is in Williamsburg, Virginia. So there's like a lot of early American history and a lot of archeological opportunities around that area. And I ended up taking this class at the original Jamestown colony, which I say original because there's also new Jamestown, which they built for the centennial because they were like, they, it's kind of a funny story. They thought the original Jamestown had been like washed out to sea and they would never find it again. And so they built this whole new Jamestown and then they found like old Jamestown, like a year or two later. But anyway, so we were, I was taking this class with old Jamestown from the archaeologist who was like, I'm pretty sure Jamestown is here. And he found it. And I started reading. He had all of these articles by this one anthropologist. His name is Doug Owsley, and he works at the Smithsonian. And he'd done a lot of the analysis of the human remains that they'd found at old Jamestown. And I was just like, it just blew my mind. And I had always really liked science, but I had been told when I was younger, that I was bad at math and science, and so I shouldn't pursue a career in it, which is false. And please do not tell girls that. That is very (laughs) harmful to them. I just think a little bit differently, and I need a little bit more time to do math than other people, but that doesn't mean I'm bad at it. 
Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I could admit that I am horrible at math. Every time I see numbers, my brain just freezes, but go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. I feel like I'm just like, let me reveal my deepest insecurities to you. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but no, I just became super fascinated because I, I, even though like I had decided not to pursue a career in sciences, I was like, I love this and I get to think about history and I get to think about biology at the same time and like how they intersect and we get to like really know things about the past in a way that with history, it's hard because you are, you're held captive to whatever bias the person who actually wrote the history has, right? Because sure, it's okay. written words. Whereas with archaeology, it's less biased, right? Because it's like whatever the material remains are that survived. But there can be some biases in like what survives and what doesn't and stuff like that. But with biological anthropology, it's literally you are looking at someone's body. Like they cannot lie to you. There is no bias there. It's just like whatever is left and that can tell you about their life. And they can't change that. You can't change how your body responds to your environment. And it was just such an exciting idea to me. And I applied to an internship with Doug Asley and I got it and I cried a lot because I was so excited and all my roommates were like, literally, what is wrong with you right now? <laughs> Cause it was like, <laughs> when I found out it was like, Oh, I still remember. It was like a Tuesday night and I was just like studying and I was really mad at the girls next door. Cause we had ants again because of them. And <laughs> I had this phone call from a DC number and I'm like, who is calling me right now? I have an exam and there's these stupid ants and I pick up the phone. And I'm like, hello. And it, and he's like, hi, this is Doug Owsley. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I proceed to try not to hyperventilate. I actually still do not remember what he said to me, but I do remember that he ended the conversation with like, well, I think this is going to be the beginning of a, of a very nice friendship. And I was just like, I was just, just, I was flabbergasted. I didn't know what to do. And I was so excited. So I got to intern for him for quite a while. And he's maybe one of the kindest people that I know. Uh, <laughs> And I think that that's really like, it was just, it all kind of happened all at once, if that makes sense. And it wasn't something that I like planned on happening, but it really took my life in a whole different direction than it would have otherwise. And you said that Doug Owsley, like, uh, I mean, I, the only way I could think of is O-W-L-S-L-Y, but that might not be how you spell it. That's okay. If you don't know how, that's okay. We'll figure <laughs> it out. It is O-W-S-L-E-Y. Ah, uh, close. Okay. Yeah, very close, very close. I think it's like it's one of those one of those names that's kind of hard to hear. Well, good. So that kind of goes into the one uh, question I wanted to ask you was uh, who was your influence for? So, so would he be the influence for wanting to get into and keep going with Neanderthals? Then, so for me, it wasn't necessarily Neander Neanderthal so much. It was more so it started out with like bioarchaeology. So looking at like historic remains, not like prehistoric, but historic remains of humans. And then later on in college, I started to get really interested in evolution and the reasons why the human skeleton in particular is the way that it is, right? Like how did bipedalism affect us? How do hormones affect how, well, that was more of a grad school question but how do hormones affect who we are? Just questions like that. And so I actually applied to grad school in undergrad and I didn't get in the first time that I applied and I took a year off and I bartended and I worked as a consultant and I did some stuff for Doug and I did some stuff for Dr. Bernard Wood, who's also a very kind human being. 
And I applied again and I got into grad school the second time. The reason that I wanted to get in, I think was more of an internal like desire as opposed to an external, but having an external mentor like Doug really influenced the shape of the rest of my career. And this is one of the things too, to think about with academia is that whoever ends up being your mentor can end up having a huge effect on where you end up. And this is partially because like, as much as I was like talking about people being high-minded and like being able to change their minds, there are still definitely divisions in the anthropology world and it can be crazy like that. And what, what do you think the reason for that? Just, uh, I think this is something that's common in a lot of different disciplines. Like, I don't think this is exclusive to anthropology, but there is limited funding in academia. And so it is very important to be right so you can continue to get funding. Okay. If someone has a theory that is opposite yours, then you start <laughs> you start out trying to tear down their theory and then you start try, the people end up trying to tear down the other person as a person. And that doesn't always happen, right? Like, but it is something that does happen. So you should be aware. And then some people also like put a lot of themselves into whatever theory it is that they're proposing. And so they take anyone like questioning it as an attack on them personally. Okay. But this is also something that I see in the real world because I'm an editor. So people will ask me to edit things and I'll edit them and then they'll get mad at me because I found like a misplaced comma or I'm like, oh, you know, like, I don't know if this piece of evidence supports your thesis. Then they they get mad at me. And I'm like, it's, they, they think that I'm saying something about them as a person by saying, I'm like saying you're a worse person because you misplaced this comma, which is not in fact what I'm saying. That's what you're there for. That's what they give it to you for, right? <laughs> right. But it's like anyone who's ever edited anything, like a lot of stuff, like they will have encountered this, that people get really upset at editors. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's just like for objective stuff, like commas, people tend to get more mad when you question like what their thesis is or like whether their evidence actually holds up their thesis, which is the other reason people hire me, right? It's to like say like, does this make sense? So and I can admit I'm definitely not always right. Like sometimes it's just a matter of like, I misread it or I don't have enough experience to be able to say one way or the other. That's another thing that's really important is being able to say like, I don't know. Sure. I feel right. like I yeah. say that admit every that day. You don't know. Yeah. Admit that you don't know. It's just the way it is. You're, you, you, well, I guess some people are walking encyclopedias that may think they know everything, but we're, we're only human. We, <laughs> we exactly. don't know everything. So. Exactly. So I don't remember what the original question was. Oh, oh, that's okay. We were we were talking my about mentor. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So yeah, but I think Doug was a great mentor to have, and I think that he really modeled having like professional kind relationships with people in a way that I thought that that was like the norm, and then I got to other places, and I was like, oh, this isn't necessarily the norm. <laughs> Just kind of sad. But, but no, he was really great. But there are some people who disagree with some of the stuff he's done. He, this, this like gets like even more complicated, but I've never, I've never really spent a lot of time with Neanderthals, but I have spent a lot of time with like early human remains. So like Kennewick Man is a 10,000 year old skeleton. This is something that Doug worked on. He was found on Native American. Well, he was found in the Kennewick River of Washington state and the local Native American tribes wanted him to be repatriated to them. And scientists said, well, no, he's not related to any extant native tribes. So we should get to study him. And there was a huge fight about that. And 
Like there's stuff like that, that it gets, it gets complicated. Right. And like both sides are right. And both sides are wrong. And I probably, people will probably not, will not like it when I say that either, that everyone is right in that situation. And people definitely won't hear, won't like that either. But yeah, so like, it just, it can get really sticky, but I think as a person, as a human being, like Doug is a number one, just such a great person. And I feel really lucky that he had taken me under his wing. And sometimes I feel a little bit guilty that I didn't continue in anthropology because I was like, I really had all the best opportunities and all the best mentors. And I <laughs> decided to go into tech and make money instead. Uh, well, let's go on to uh, about more on a little personal notes with your, uh, I noticed you were, uh, did a, a mission in Peru. Oh yeah. That was a long time ago. I haven't, I hadn't thought about that in literally years until I saw that you were going to ask me about that. This was in my in-between undergraduate and graduate school phase where I was like doing a bunch of different things. I was working for this consulting company and they got a job where they needed to go down to Peru because the USAID had been spending a lot of money to try and do a few different things. One was like vaccinate just a ton of children and they'd done a really good job with that. But then the other project was creating software so that people could report political corruption. And shockingly, that wasn't going as well. (laughs) (laughs) So the USAID wanted to figure out why it wasn't going that well. And so at the time, very, very oddly, I think I was the only person at that company who spoke Spanish. Because I was not the type of person that you sent for jobs like that. But I did speak fluent Spanish and, or I do speak fluent Spanish. Both my parents, my mom is from Venezuela and my dad's from Spain. And so I got sent on this really rad trip to Peru. Everyone was really stressed except for me because I was just like, I'm just here to translate and pretend I don't speak Spanish. (laughs) It was great. Like I would be in the room and everyone, like all the, none of the Spanish speakers realized that I spoke Spanish. And so they'd like say things to each other. And then like later I'd tell the lead consultant, I'd be like, this is what they said. <laughs> it was a super, it was like a great, I had a really great time. I saw Machu Picchu, like I, which I didn't think I was going to get to do. It was just like a whole, yeah, I think I was, I was definitely the least stressed person on the trip, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. It was, I, yes, I have not thought about that in literally years. <laughs> it did not change the course of my life. <laughs> did not affect who I am, but I did have a great time doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. And, and hey, to get a trip to Peru, why not, man? That would be awesome to see Machu Picchu or whatever else is in that. Yeah, yeah it was great. It was fantastic. like completely company funded trip to Peru. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Let's touch on your, uh, I noticed you had in, I think it was in your LinkedIn, uh, a thesis that you that you wrote for your degree, exploring the evolutionary origins of obesity through the endocrine physical activity bone axis. Yes. That is a mouthful. Yes. I've never been good at titles to this day. It's funny because <laughs> people pay me to be good at words and I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to title it exactly what it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I got really interested in this idea of mismatch disease, which is the idea that All right, cave dwellers, I hope you enjoyed that first episode of two with Gabby LaPera. Don't forget to check out her Anthrobiology podcast. It ties in awesomely with the Neanderthal Mind podcast, covering everything we can with anthropology and our ancestors and how they have influenced our mind 
body, and soul. Join Gabby and myself next week as we go into part two of our conversation about her podcast, her degree in anthropology, and exploring the evolutionary origins of obesity through the endocrine physical activity bone axis. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought, but Gabby will explain all of that to you in that episode. So, cave dwellers, I would love to hear from you about how you feel the podcast is going. Is it what you were expecting? Are there things I can do differently to make this any better? If I don't hear from you, I can only assume that I'm giving you what you want from the Neanderthal mind. I will take all criticism that you give and try to mold the show to your liking. But I can't promise I will be able to do everything everyone wants me to do. So please, email the show at theneanderthalmind at gmail.com and go to the somewhat of a website, theneanderthalmind.com and leave me some messages. Until next time, cave dwellers. Thanks for listening to the Neanderthal Mind Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you love what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review the Neanderthal Mind Podcast wherever you download your podcasts. If you know anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast, please recommend the Neanderthal Mind to them. Until next week, my fellow cave dwellers, don't forget... To leave your cave drawings and comments on our wall at theneanderthalmind.com.